Welcome back. Episode number 57 of the New York Painters podcast in partnership with Inside the Rink. I'm your host, Jacob Berkowitz. And today we're going to be having on Josh Hofflin, an analytics guy, Rangers fan, great guy. Some of you know him from Twitter. We're going to be talking about the first half of the Rangers season, individual player stats, trade deadline, and more. Just want to let you guys know, unfortunately, due to COVID and other reasons, my co-host Brett and Luca will not be with us today. But hey, all good. The show must go on. And yeah, let's get to it. And we are back. Joshua Halfin, how's it going? I'm great, man. How are you? I mean, after yeah. tonight, I mean, I don't know. It's 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 rough. It's rough. It, yeah. Like watching that live. I mean, you went to the game. I know. No, I know. I know. It's a good thing. Uh, my boy hooked me up with like a ticket. He's like, hey, I just really need somebody to go with. I'm like, all right. I mean, like, what's the worst that could happen that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to see some um, last year, really, Shesterkin action. The way he yeah, played. I, mean, I, you know, I honestly was watching that, like, from the first little bit, I was like, yo, there's no way he just made three of those types of saves against yeah. Montreal, right? Like, this is not the kind of game that I was expecting it to be because, like, the first one was so low event between them. So I was like, all right, hopefully it ends up well, but it didn't. Oh. So how how did you get into the interest of, you know, following and, like, understanding analytics and all that? So, um for me, it was like really, really weird. Like I remember growing up, like hockey was just sort of like my thing. You know what I mean? Like I would try to memorize like a bunch of players stats, you know, like even just the basic stuff. I really, really enjoyed the game. And I got really lucky one day, like just turn of events, like family went to some dinner party. And then I ended up meeting a guy at the dinner party that was a relative of some of the person that they just invited him to. And he he ended up being an NHL agent. And I was like oh, wow. maybe 11 years old at the time. And, you know, he sort of like told me a little bit about it because it just started getting like a big thing. Maybe I was like 12 years old at the time. So I started watching it, you know, develop over time. And I think it's cool, you know, like it's, I, I think it's imperfect still because, you know, hockey's like a five-man sport. It's not like baseball, you know, there's, no. there's things that we don't isolate yet there. It's, but that imperfection also makes it really, really fun because, you're looking at things like, you know, Tage Thompson, right? And everything was saying that this guy is not going to be what he is now, right? And now, I mean, he's in the running for the heart, like legitimately, if you really think about it, like carrying Buffalo on his back. So yeah, it's it's just been like a little bit of a roller coaster that a lot of it came from, you know, being fostered by, you know, just a lucky uh, acquaintance really more than anything. Right. Yeah. Uh, mentioning Tage Thompson, it's like, like I'm not the create. I don't have the craziest knowledge of analytics. Uh, I'll never claim to, uh, though. I'm trying to get more into it. Everyone like saying like, yeah, we did not see this coming. There was no way of seeing that coming. Imagine, imagine like Libor Hayek became like Adam Fox. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's that. That didn't would he have like the worst analytics? Like really, really. Yeah, bad. yeah. He was he was he was really terrible. Right. I mean, his defensive numbers this year are still like pretty. Eh. But uh, I mean, that's scoring a hat trick every other game. Yeah, I mean, like, who cares, right? Like, right, yeah. Like, you're not going to be outscoring. I know it's an extreme example. Like, when I say this, it's not like he's not going to become him. But it, it's kind of to show that you don't give up on your young players. Hundred percent. You you don't give up. You know. And yeah, I mean, I feel like oh, with Tage Thompson specifically, there's there's sort of an interesting thing that I think you know, people who are like, oh, I, you know, I'm not a huge stats guy, but I really, really like to watch the game. Right. And I think we sort of are starting to see maybe what's giving Tage Thompson that kind of ability is that how many six, six centers are really in the league anymore. 
right? It used to be one of these things that every team really wanted to get. I remember like growing up, like, you know, number one trade target or free agent target for the Rangers got to be a huge center, got to be a huge center, got to be a huge center. And, you know, you see it a little bit with Kreider hitting higher goal numbers, dudes like Pavelski, like there's few guys who are really, really good in front of the net because the game is so much more East-West now. But Tage Thompson is a guy who's huge, protects the puck really well, has really silky hands and is now starting to convert in front of the net. And, you know, I feel like we could sort of see it with how Kako is developing a little bit too, where, you know, guys who are just quick hands, really strong in front of the net could really start to make themselves a legitimate threat. Um, Just because there's, you know, the game's a little bit more spread open. There's not as many also like six, four defensemen cross-checking you down the back like it used to be. So there leads there leaves like a little bit of a opening for guys to really make their mark there. Yeah. I mean, it seems like Kako's coming to his own here in the past couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> before we get like to the more of the analytics stuff, one thing I want to ask you, um, something like it's hard for me to try to figure out here. I was a bit concerned with the top line originally in the beginning of the season with um, Kreider, Zibanejad, Kako. I thought it was a bit redundant to have Kreider and Kako because they kind of had the same type of style and you might want to add a different type of skill set, you know, to that line. Um, Cause like everyone talks about, Oh, just have all the elite players on the same line. And I, I don't, I mean, for me, I don't think that's true. You got to have based on skill set. If you have all three snipers, right. Who's getting the puck, who's passing the puck. Yeah. Um, why has that been working? Because you would think on paper, right. It shouldn't. Right. Well, I feel like one of the reasons are, is because Kako is now sort of like he was always more of like a of a distributor, a, a puck carrier, and then a distributor with the puck. Right. Sort of like you know how how many times did you really want like Buchnevich just to like absolutely just shoot that puck, rocket, right? Yeah, rocket it. And after Buchnevich got traded. I feel like the thing that was mixing with Kreider and Zibanejad, I mean, we were, we were looking at Vetrano last year and we were like, oh my God, that's the answer, right? They needed a shooter. That was what was missing. I think what was happening though, was that team, that line was still not that incredible five on five in terms of getting that sustained pressure going. What they were missing was a guy who could carry that puck through the zone and set up a cycle for Kreider and, you know, that person to maybe allow some movements and get Zibanejad, you know, some shots to start shuffling the defensemen. So I think what's really helping Kako, what's really helping that line is Kako's ability and confidence now to start driving the play and like actually bringing the play into that offensive zone. Like it doesn't always have to be a dump and chase, right? And Kako gives him that ability because he's so strong with the puck. Um, so I think that's what's really, really helping that line specifically. Um it, you know, it's just been working. Unfortunately, they've in the beginning of the season, they just didn't have as much shooting luck. But I hope, you know, that's starting to turn around a little bit. So I've seen a lot of analytics say, like, the first beginning of the, not the first half, really, kind of like 25% in, maybe. Right. Everyone, everyone was saying it was just terrible puck luck, right? I mean, mm -hmm. at least that's what was being said, right? Bad puck luck. They'll get it. They'll get their chances eventually. They'll eventually, it has to go in. And then that's when Gallant switched everything up, then yeah. hit rock bottom with Chicago, Truba's whole, you know, meltdown. And then eventually in December, somehow, someway, this team strung along a winning streak and then they've sort of gotten back. I, I mean, I, I don't really know if that's a fair thing to say, 
But the interesting thing is during that winning streak, everyone's like, oh, they're getting better and better. But a lot of analytics people were saying that's not the case. It's possibly like they have a lot of clutchness to their game that they didn't have before. Um, It's kind of like the opposite of the beginning of the season where they deserve to win, you know, where they didn't finish. But now it's like they don't deserve to win. I mean, look at the Montreal. They they came into they came uh, in playing Montreal tonight like they already earned the two points before they even played, you know? Um, Do you, what are your thoughts on the win streak? How have they been actually, you know, uh, regarding numbers analytics, how have they actually been playing? So um, I think this is what makes me like a a little bit different of how I I view the things currently. Um, I do agree that in the beginning of the season, the way that the Rangers were generating offense in terms of analytics, and a lot of that was due to the amount of shots that they were generating, right? Um, now, especially like during this win streak, they haven't been generating just as many shots or as many high scoring chances as they did in the beginning of the year. Now, the interesting thing is at at the very basis of it, a lot of it is just, uh, comparison on, sorry, cat just dropped a bunch of stuff. Um, so a lot of it is just the, the generation of shots, right? All the analytics is stemming from is the shots that tell us, okay, this team is getting this many. They probably have a chance to win at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Something changed over the, you know, that season, uh, over the midpoint at the moment, like the quarter point of the season for the Rangers. And I feel like a lot of it is coming back to getting more shots generated from the defense. Um, and we start to see it with more points being scored on the defense from the defensemen too. But I think what's really been an issue is the fact that, you know, Truba's unfortunately not been that great this year. You know, Harper and Jones and Hayek, you know, they all have their issues to some degree. And, and, you know, you're now leaving with two pairs that essentially have not an anchor per se, but like somebody that doesn't generate legitimate offensive chances from the back end. And um I think that's the biggest problem. The fact that, you know, Fox can only play 23 minutes a night. Right. So then for the next 30 minutes or whatever it is, you know, you might be struggling to make offense. And then we know when Gallant is switching lines up and, you know, they can't really start gelling, you know, you have an issue generating offense from the back end. And then you have guys who are sort of like in the, you know, in the middle of everything. They're not, they're not really comfortable with where that other player is supposed to be. Like, you know, it's tough to generate offense that way because you're not going to be able to generate chances. Um, so I think that's the real difficulty with the expected goals stats for the Rangers as the season's going along is that, you know, they haven't really been comfortable. And now all of a sudden they go back to that line that was successful and it's still successful, right? It's just that comfort that was developed over time. Like um, I listened to, I think it was Friedman's or Merrick's podcast and they were interviewing McDonough. And they were talking about McDonough's pass to Kucherov that ended up winning game two against the Islanders. Like McDonough just knew that he was going to be there, right? Because they just grew that level of comfort over right. time. And that Kucherov is going to be there. Right. It's like 10 seconds. One thing I actually want to mention is because my my co-host, who, who unfortunately has COVID right now, told me like, please ask. Like, I know we're getting off topic here, but based off what you said, like, it's just so frustrating to see like, Gallant's wondering why the lines aren't working yeah. when you're not giving them more than a game yeah. to build up chemistry. It's like, what do you, what do you expect? 
Right. You know? And and that's that's the other thing, right? Like we see the Rangers do better against certain types of teams, whether that's significant or like or not, like who knows, right? Maybe they're better against a team that's a little bit more inside a structure versus more, you know, um, widespread or maybe vice versa, right? Like sometimes I feel like it's tr- like, oh yeah, they're better against teams that are like Tampa, like, you know, very, very rigid in the way that match they match the they, energy yeah. and skill of the other team. Which, which makes it no sense, make sense to me. But I feel like a lot of other fans of other teams might say something similar about their own team, right? Like some some games you have it, right? Like, like versus Carolina, so, so, New Jersey, or Tampa. I'm yeah. sorry, uh, versus Tampa or someone like that. Tampa, they play their best hockey versus Tampa. Completely. And then completely. you look at Montreal, you know, they don't even know how to yeah. play hockey. So it's like it, it's like it's, it's it's a sharpness, it's a crispness, and you, you know, know that like, Pokemon Ditto. Yeah, they're dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, who yeah. they are. They're yeah, dead. Totally, totally. Exactly. Which is why I'm like, you know, pretty excited for the playoffs. I feel like they are going to show oh, yeah. up. Just, just, just you know, up. like it's 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 what they do, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like one of the other problems with the you know constant switching of the lines, and it it will go back to the same problems that were sort of fixed last year at the deadline, is that if Galan keeps switching lines up when things aren't working, if you are if you are as, as a team one or two players short on your top nine. Then no matter how many times you shuffle up those lines, one of those lines is going to be short a player or two. And if <laughs> and you know that's that's what happens. Sometimes it looks like only one line is generating you know offense for the Rangers. Um. So I think with a deadline move, right? Like maybe things could start getting a little bit better. The the good news is like Gallant in his mind could always go back to the kid line, right? And he could always then decide whether or not he wants to stack Mika and Panarin, like. Where get, he is, in the theory, getting himself options to make in-game adjustments in the playoffs, which could be fun, right? Like, that was one of the other things that we were sort of, like, worrying about last year when, you know, we were we weren't wondering, like, okay, what if, God forbid, something happens during a game, right? We don't know what lines we could ship back to. This season, with more line shuffling, I, I think, in theory, you know, it could be done, right? Like, as long as they start filling out the rest of the gaps... They could get back to something that's pretty good come playoff time if they need to make adjustments. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that was, I mean, that's a great point. I, I just, I don't think like, I wouldn't give Galant the benefit of the doubt that's why he was doing it. But no, I'm in total agreement that that does help them along the road that come playoff time, they need to make adjustments. Oh, hey, I remembered in December, we tried this a few times and it worked. Let's let's try to go back to that. Let's right. see how that is. Right. Um, I'm just, I, I there was talk this week Obviously, the NHL writers posted something. Daily Faceoff posted something. I, I try to speak to Drew uh, way about this. I'm like, why in God's name is not only Fox not the front runner? He's not in the top three. Did, am I missing something here? Like, I, I listen. Analytics is not my specialty. <laughs> analytics is yours. Can you explain to me? Is there any reason why Fox so, is not even in the I, top three? Um, well, I, you know, honestly, it's just, I think it's just the way the media cycles in the NHL work, right? Like you always, right. you, you would have like a veteran guy, right? It's not Hedman this year. That's for sure. McCarlson, like, right? for me. So, you know, I mean, in Carlson as like a comeback story, I mean, Carlson's playing fantastic, right? His point right. production is absolutely obscene, especially on a team like the Sharks. But, you know, I feel I like. I apologize. I'm looking something yeah. up here because we had a reason, nope. like we were in our podcast, Richard, we had a reasons why yeah. each individual person um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make sure to come up with this. And okay. I think I remember this. 
It's all Carlson great, yeah. was a redemption story. Absolutely. The, the Morrissey. Now I don't watch a bunch of him, so I I don't think it's fair for me. He's, I mean, he's been great this year, but it's his uh, best chance of doing it. That's why they'll add him. Does that make sense? And I think it's because he's plays on a Canadian team. Oh, that's true. right. Right. So he gets a little like when I think the last. Absolutely. Look, absolutely. Off the top of my head, last Canadian guy to win it was Subban, right? Probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I think yeah. like on a what, Canadian what on it? a Canadian on a Canadian team. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was either Subban or Carlson. It. Nurse didn't win it. I think it was. Oh no, wait. It might have been Carlson after the Senators. Uh, the yeah, the maybe of the Rangers. That Rangers yeah, maybe, up. maybe. So like, I feel like he's got like the Canada vote, and Darlene is like the you know young guy on the block. Remember, like everybody was hyping him up pretty. He's the heavily. new toy, like, and he you know and he's been fantastic. Right, him Thompson really. You know, it's it's great for Buffalo Sabres fans because they're like, you know, they just got rid of Ico, but the two guys that weren't really involved in that deal right. are carrying the team as like you're like, oh yeah, we could definitely build around these two guys specifically, plus whatever we got. And then now they're going power and all that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's awesome for them. So I feel like that's just what it is, you know, like people are like trying to beat, you know, Makar's drone, like, oh yeah, Makar's time to repeat. Oh, because he now suddenly kills penalties. Right. right, like all right. of a sudden, you know. I like just found box, that out. Box. I think yeah, I, I saw. I think I saw your Ludicrous. comment. That's how I found out. I think it was Ludicrous. you. Were you the one that said, "Oh, apparently now he kills penalties." So, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that was your okay. Um, yeah, like, no, no, because box I, always kills the penalties, right? Like, like, like it's not even that. <laughs> congrats. Like, there are like the difference for me from elite players to superstars. Our elite players are good on their own. Superstars are the ones that make everyone around them better. Yeah. And I don't think there are a lot of players that do it better than Fox, personally. No, I mean, I, I, I mean, if you really just look at it, right, like just in terms of even like just expected goals, right? Not even just what you see. I mean, when Adam Fox is on the ice, it doesn't really matter what other forwards are on the ice. The Rangers are probably winning that shift. Yeah. Right. When And, and that's sort of the way I like to look at analytics, if I could like sort of track backwards, right? What combination of players gives you the best chance to win the shift most like most often of the time right and i feel like one of the reasons why the kids might also not be producing as much is because their amount of ice time with fox is less than guys like panarin and zabanajad until they started shifting the lines up but like that's the kind of special player that he is that you look at guys and say like well they don't get to play with adam fox as much how much offense right. could we realistically expect from them because he's that good. Right. Right. Like that's, playing, that's how it feels like. If they're not playing with Fox, they're playing with Trudeau. Then they're playing with, then they're playing. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why I think, you know. Yeah. That's why he's incredible. Right. Well, it's, speaking it's, of the defense, what is your thoughts? I, I've always been a fan of just let them, like, the whole thing is you could switch it up to Miller, Fox, Lindgren, mm -hmm. Trubov. You can always go back. No one's, you know. Exactly. Which, exactly. You, I don't know. What Do you think they should do that? Or, you know, it's, I think every time we see Fox and Miller, they're always doing something, right? And you're like, oh, it's 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 almost like forbidden fruit, right? Like, you're yeah, like, exactly. Oh, God, man. Yeah. Like, they they did it uh, the past two games. Go on to the yeah, past two and games. it worked out. And it worked out, right? And um, I exactly like I feel like you could always go back to it, but what the Rangers I think currently sort of see is like that that Truba Miller is their shutdown pair, right? Because they're always using them against like really some, you know, top lines of somebody else. 
I feel like depending on what kind of guy they might get at the deadline, we might actually start seeing something completely different, right? I don't think they're going to break up Fox and Lindgren unless they want more offense. Like if they're like, hey, we need offense, we're going to use Fox and Miller for this last minute and a half of the game. But I don't think they're going to use them as a separate pair. But I do think that let's say the Rangers get themselves a defensive guy at the deadline. They might be down to move up Schneider, give him a little bit of run during the regular season to play with Miller, see what they have there. Because in theory, that could be your second pair after some cap maneuverings if necessary. And then that third pair or their defensive big, big defense pair would be Truban, this, you know, legitimately good defensive player. I, that's the only way I could see them breaking up Truba and Miller at the moment. Yeah, even that is unlikely. The problem is, is that like these defensive additions, like I, I don't know if this is it, but I think teams are now understanding, like I, I forgot the record. I, I looked it up a few times. Like I looked up basically the past 13 years of what happened when the that team got the big fish. Right. And I think it's I I listen, I could be so wrong on this and the listeners will start screaming uh their heads off, but I think it was only once. And I think it was when Marion Gabrick went to the Kings. And you know, yeah. I mean, but you and also I have to remember it's, that it's a one in it's a one in like sixteen at the end of the day. Right. right? It's not and a guarantee. And even like Yeah. And also, how many of the teams that are actually the best teams could afford the big fish? Right now in this cap in this cap world, the big fish, if he's making five and a half million, that's still a lot for teams to try to wiggle around because almost two thirds of the league is on LTIR space. Right. So they haven't really been generating a lot of um, cap, you know, and when you're cap in the, to use at the deadline. And when you're in the Rangers position, you're not giving up Othman because not only is Othman valuable because he's a great prospect. Right. But he has an ELC for three years. That's gold. Exactly. So I feel like the Rangers aren't necessarily. And I mean, if this is about like, in theory, you know, like they're, they're constantly linked to Patrick Kane, right? Like I was looking at like the deadline space that's available for a lot of teams. Really the only team that's within a playoff reach that probably has as much deadline money coming in. That's not tied up in injury money would be the Islanders. And if, the Islanders the doesn't want know to, how to work a phone, so we're fine. Right, but if and if and if the Islanders want to pay however many picks and prospects that it would cost, and the Rangers end up still improving their team with other pieces, by all means, right? Because I don't. Right. By all so means. I know, I know. Um, I've been talking to you on Twitter regarding some additions, like when when you tweet stuff out. Um, I mean, my personal favorite is a guy like Tarasenko because yeah. We saw like a guy like Petrano works last year. And if you get Terry Silk, he's like 10 times that. He has that shoot first mentality. Um, I know we talked about it early, early in the season about Kuzmenko, but obviously that's that ain't happening now. Who who yeah. is your ideal trade deadline addition or additions? Well, I feel like the additions is the big thing, right? I feel like they could make and they should make multiple moves, right? They definitely have to get a defenseman. The problem is the defenseman uh, behind Gavrikov and he's going to cost the first round pick from what it sounds like. Um, and I think the Rangers would rather spend their first on a forward if they do spend first is, um, you know, there's not that many defensemen that are available. Um, but I definitely think they need a 60. Um, they definitely should improve on Belay to some capacity 
on the fourth line, right? In theory, if you use Gauthier and Goudreau on your fourth line, that looked like a pretty good combination. And then if you could get another responsible player on that fourth line, that'd be great. Um, or in theory, right, if you get a guy who's better, quote unquote, than VC or could be used interchangeably with VC and you bring VC down, you can make a really good fourth line with VC there. So I think they could use a bottom six forward, a top nine forward and a six D. Mm-hmm. And those three moves to some capacity would be done, right? Um, and since you brought up Tarasenko, it could be really interesting because if the Blues do decide to go that route, the Blues have multiple forwards that we, the Rangers could acquire that would probably suit them pretty well. You know, like like you mentioned, Tarasenko, O'Reilly's also on that team if the Rangers want to go a more veteran center route. Um, Barbashev is a guy that's probably going to get a lot of um, a lot of interest. Because he's, you know, plays a tough game, scored 20 goals last year. His analytics aren't that great, but he's one of those kind of guys that at least seem like, hey, they're going to get things done in the playoffs because they score these dirty goals in front of the net that, you know, the Rangers could always use. That's why I thought that's where Trocek is going to be most valuable. Yeah. That's absolutely. where I'm like, I, as long as he's somewhat good in the regular season, I don't care because his type of style, his skill of being able to split the defenseman or to have that puck possession generate chances between the red dots or in the slot. Mm-hmm. Those are the type of goals you score in the playoffs. And if that's his specialty, you know? Yeah. And exactly. And, you know, like that specialty could almost be like described as creating chaos. Right. The point is, and, point is the king at that. Right. Right. Yeah. You just, you, you, you force the puck between the goalie and the defenseman. Right. And you make a lot of things happen where, you know, pucks are bouncing around and defensemen are trying to turn their head trying to figure out where everything is going and like we saw it against dallas right when they tied it up like the rangers are at their best when chaos is happening and they might need a few more guys that are either adept at scoring when this chaos is happening in front of the net or like at least like super relentless right or guys that can make shots through the point or shots that could generate that amount of rebounds um like, I remember the game against Florida, right? Like, Kachuk had, like, four rebound chances against Shesterkin, right? Before that goal went in. So, like, he, so, yeah. he kept going at it. Like, they need well, a guy. What I wanted to ask, actually, is the one thing is how, how have the Rangers, because, I don't know, it seems like it's been pretty bad. How have the Rangers been regarding, analytically regarding uh, protecting the front of the net, chances against, and all that? Well, it, I think it's different per team, uh, per pair, actually. So, like, as a whole, the Rangers have been probably allowing it a decent amount. But they were actually allowing a lot of those chances when they, uh, in the beginning of the year, when the numbers were great, when the Truba pair and the Schneider pair were on the ice. Like I said, like, when Adam Fox was on the ice and he was on the ice for almost over half the game, the Rangers almost never let up those type of shots. Um so a lot of it is split on by line and by pair. So I don't I don't want to like absolutely generally say, okay, the Rangers aren't really that good at letting up shots from this area. I think that there are certain combinations of Rangers that are not good at letting up shots from that area. And you know, but that's that's gonna happen for a lot of teams, right? Like I feel like now that they're getting better at maybe managing the puck a little bit the numbers are trending better, but they're still like pretty bad at letting up shots from in front of the net from what I could see. Was it better during the streak or was it? No, no, not necessarily. It's, I mean, they still, they still like, they, they, 
they let up a little bit less high danger chances than they did like during the lowest points. Like when they were letting up all those shots to Chicago, like that was really, really bad. Was there like, any they were bleeding? Sorry, was shots. there any stat that did like because every every time I see something, either an analytic chart or anything, there doesn't anything that really stands out, even though they went on a winning streak. Is there anything that stood out analytic, like anything during that streak? Well, by the by the most common like uh stats, no. But like even like sort of like Valakat was mentioning on, you know, either the podcast that he's on or on the MSG, like post games, like the Rangers ability to shut plays down in the third period. I, you know, that is a thing that we might be able to see with analytics, right? If they all of a sudden are, let's say, averaging two high danger chances against per period, right? And then on the third period, all of a sudden it's down to zero. Like that would be an example of them absolutely shutting things down. And I think that from what I remember from Valcat, like that did sort of happen. Like they did start absolutely shutting things down, low event third period and stopped offense from happening. And that would be totally fine with the Rangers because they do have the talent, I think, on offense to convert on maybe less chances than other teams would need, right? Like we saw it in the Carolina series, like the Rangers have talent to convert and that's probably when they'd be at their best when they're sort of like Tampa, where they're saying like, okay, you know, like you could try to bring the puck in, but we're going to really just nullify everything. And if we get a breakaway or if we get a couple of chances, we're going to convert on one of the three chances that we're going to get every period. Right. And I think, and I think, and I think that's, and and you know, that's a reasonable strategy, but the expected goals numbers are probably going to be pretty bad because you are going to be in theory, allowing some shots or allowing some chances at net. Like it's just going to happen. Right. Like whenever I see a Rangers team play a very, very, very fast team, whether it's New Jersey or Carolina, I always point to the Carolina series and that's that's what you have to do. Because if yeah, versus those fast teams, as long as you protect the middle of the ice, let them skate around all they want and don't and don't get pulled in to try to stop 100%. them. Just let them do whatever the hell they want on the outside. Shesterkin stopping that 10 out of 10 times. And as yep. long as you do a good job clearing the crease, then you just um uh also thought yeah. here but yeah once you counterattack, you know that that's when they capitalize and i'm like whenever they play a fast team i'm like that's exactly what they have to do do not try to challenge them with your speed you will yeah. lose 10 out of 10 times um one thing i know we gotta get going here soon but uh, a, a few things before we leave one of the things i want to mention is uh apparently the numbers regarding vc's defensive uh capabilities are tremendous like on the ice awesome. it looks great but like yeah. people are saying silky. Yeah. Totally. Is it that good? He's he's post well, he's posting fantastic numbers, yeah, in terms of shot suppression. Like um, you know, Val Nichushkin, um yeah. on Colorado prior to like his coming out party, really, <laughs> like the analytics community was loving his defensive numbers. And um, I remember actually this fun story. Um one when I when I started working a little bit with agents. One of the guys that I was working with was with Val Nichushkin, and we were trying to get him on a contract with some team. This is after he scored no goals in Dallas. Um, and we were looking at it and we were like, hey, you know, his defensive numbers on Dallas look pretty, pretty good. Maybe let's try to sell him, not necessarily as this, oh, former top 10 pick with offensive upside up, you know, up the ass, right? But as a defensive specialist. And Colorado a very smart analytics, you know, driven team was like, absolutely. It works. 
So they ended up using him in more of a defensive role, right? Um, and, you know, his ability there at, after being a former really like top, you know, offensive player at lower levels, you know, I think sort of somehow ended up like he, he remade his game. Jimmy Vesey's numbers defensively look very similar to Nachushkin when Nachushkin first really started to become a vital member to Colorado's, uh, you know, contention window. And, you know, I might make the same argument as I did with Nachushkin earlier on, where I was like, well, you know, they are using him not as their prime defensive forward, right? Like, he's not getting all the difficult matchups, but I think, you know, with Gallant's line changes, VC sort of is, right? Like, a lot of times he does get moved up, and all of a sudden, you know, he did have a handful of games with Kreider and Zibanejad, which do get big defensive zone um, uses. And um, so, yeah, I think VC is having a stellar defensive season, and, you know, that value is massive for the Rangers because if they could get another guy similar to that, then, you know, they'd be able to build like a lot of really good combinations for the playoff run. So going into um, VC top six and all that, what's your take on the whole Goudreau in the top six? Like for me, the guy's got stone hands. It's like Mm -hmm. once in every 20 games, the guy decides he's Wayne Gretzky. Right. And then the rest Mm -hmm. of them, he's, and then as well as his numbers are kind of inflated because he's playing with guys like Panarin and stuff like his offensive IQ is just not for me. It's just not able to keep up. Like everyone says, look, he's producing. It's kind of, I don't know for me, that's kind of more because the Panarin and everything's going around him. It's not like he helps with that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just, he can't keep up uh, IQ wise and all that and ends up when he is the fourth C he's able to generate offense better because it's, I don't know for me, it's because it's better because, one, he's playing versus, you know, uh, right. versus players. And two is, is that it's a much simpler game with fourth liners, right? They dump the puck in, they check, they pass it to the defenseman, that's it. But with guys like Panarin and Zibanejad, they're trying to be a little bit more fancier. They're trying to be more riskier. And that's just, you know, obviously, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts regarding Goudreau? And- I mean, I, I, I don't like him on the top six because I do feel like it is harming the offense, right? But, you know, once again, I mean with the right moves, you know, if you could build, if you could make him the cornerstone of a shutdown line, right. Him on the fourth line. I think the issue is like Gallant would want to play them more, right? Like that's sort of what he's saying a lot of the time that he moves Goudreau up. Like he's like, well, I can't play Goudreau like 10 minutes a night, right? Like they want to play more than that. And I think the best way to do that but without harming the potential offensive output of the team is to give Gallant a shutdown fourth line or third line, whatever Goudreau is going to, whatever he considers that. Right. And allow it to be a successful defensive unit that Gallant could use at almost every point of the game in the playoffs. Right. Um, so I think we have the basis of it already set up with Goudreau and in theory, either VC, right. Or somebody else right now it's Gauthier. But if they could get the right deadline moves and cr- sort of recreate what like Tampa did with that third line, right? Then I think that would allow Gallant the freedom to play Goudreau as, as long as he wants without really harming the Rangers and then also letting the rest of the lines actually be able to generate the level of offense that you would expect from them too. Because like you said, with guys like Panera and Spanajad, you really should be able to produce no matter who's on the ice. Right. 
Um, yeah, it, it sounds like if you could get that third guy, like I'm not like usually, obviously I love X Rangers back some specifically, you know, um, but like, I'm not usually the guy I try to usually, you know, clear mind, try to figure out what's actually the best thing rather than what you want to see. Um, though I, this is the one exception that I allow myself to have is Tyler Mott is the one exception. It just seems like when Mott was here, this might be over the top when I say is he transformed that PK. Yeah, absolutely. Because he, he wasn't just dumping in Like I've never seen any Rangers team in all my life ever do this. When Mott went in the offensive zone with the puck on the PK, he passed it back. He didn't dump it in. And all of a sudden he's passing back. Great. You have one player that does that. It's great. You've never seen that before as a Rangers fan. You know, they're not used to being that smart. And then all of a sudden you see everyone else do it. You see everyone else follow his lead. And I'm seeing you guys, the the, uh, Horn Globetrotters with the puck and the offensemen, they don't know what to do because they're supposed to be the ones with the puck. And all of a sudden uh, they're just passing it around. And it just sounds like based off what you're saying, a line of VC, Goudreau, Mott would be, would be terrific. And Mott's somebody that they could, uh, you know, honestly, one of the things is like the Rangers could bring back almost every single one of their deadline, like at least half of their deadline deals, right? Like if they really want another seventh defenseman, right? Braun is cheap. He has no points this year. I feel like the Rangers wouldn't mind him just to be an extra on the team, right? The only one is with Toronto, right? He's the tricky one, right? And Cop. I mean, but Cop's not. Oh, right, right, right. Um, but you know, Mott is also on a one-year deal. He's cheaper than Blay. And like in theory, if the Rangers unload Blay's contract for anything, they could bring Mott in without it really even denting their deadline space. It might it actually makes space for them. Right. So like they could recreate that line that you're talking about. Um, uh, there's a lot of moves that the Rangers could make. And I, I I do think that getting a guy with speed like that on the fourth line is exactly what it could be, what could be useful. I totally agree. All right. Um, I apologize keeping you here longer no, it's than, good. It was than we fun. originally planned. But I, I had a question regarding Lafreniere. Is it, what do you think his potential is now? Because honestly, um, it it's too big of a coincidence. It's too, you know, where you had a first overall pick, a second overall pick, a seventh overall pick, a ninth overall pick. You know, the list could go on and on and on. And all of them haven't, I mean, Heel's the only one that comes even, you know, close. Right. Um, and Kako's finally starting to get going. What do you think his potential is and what is wrong with the Rangers development? Right. So I'll outright say that, you know, like as somebody who does a lot of prospect analytics work, Lafreniere had 80 points in like 60 games with 42 goals three years before his draft. Okay. That's right. huge numbers, huge numbers. And then two years, the, the year before his draft and then the year of his draft, he had a hundred point seasons with you can't do that without being really damn good. And it's not like Lafreniere had other top tier players with him on that team. Like the other, the best guys are, you know, fifth or sixth round picks on that team. Like they're not really uh, like NHL team's top three prospects. Lafreniere was driving a lot of the offense on that team, on that team since he was 16 years old. Um, And, you know, the only other player that was similar to that from the QMJHL that hasn't been that great is Jonathan Drouin. Everybody else has been fantastic. You know, you have names like McKinnon, you have names like Crosby. Obviously, he's not Crosby level, but, you know, you have big QMJHL performers and Lafreniere is smack in the middle of them. 
Drewen is a guy who played with McKinnon and he's dealing with his own issues right now, but he was always seen as like a top offensive caliber type player too. I think the good news is that, you know, we see it with guys like JT Miller who, you know, after, even after the Rangers traded him and we thought, oh my God, he broke out again in Tampa when he scored like 50 something points. Right. right. We were like, oh man, it got, it's horrible. Like we just traded away a 60 point player. And then he ends up right. following that up with getting traded to Vancouver and almost scoring a hundred points. And we're like, well, this, you know, we're seeing development. And, and then you see Shea in Carolina. Right. So we're seeing development happen at later ages than maybe that they were having in, in earlier, in like the earlier years of the NHL. Like, I feel like we always talk about prime ages and stuff and, you know, like these are different type of players than there was 15 years ago, right? I feel like a lot of the preconceived notions that we have about development and when to expect a guy to really break out is different now because these, you know, you have, you got 12 year olds with nutritionists, right? Right. Like it's, it's a crazy, it's a crazy yeah. difference. Everyone's trying to one up each other and try exactly. to be the best of the best. And so I feel like the good news is like you do see players that are breaking out at age 26 and 27 when everybody would think like, okay, they could break out at 22, 23. Like that's when they're supposed to start being really, really good. Um, So I think no matter what's happening within the Rangers issue, I mean, may, a lot of it is maybe, you know, just not giving them the free reign offensive opportunities, right? When you're a bad team, it doesn't matter if you're winning. So obviously you have the kids in the top six and obviously, you know, your structure is probably not that good. Right? right you're feeding them pucks they're they're getting a lot of touches i don't know how many touches the rangers top guys get but when those opportunities do probably start to happen and a lot of them will happen when guys need to get traded like it's it you know some people will it's be either left a other... starter or it's uh right exactly and i feel like you know with more touches they will get there just like these other players were able to right now the good news with the rangers kids is that unfortunately you're looking at it and you're like what the hell is happening with our offensive production but if you look at them as what they've been used as which are third liners because that's what right. that's what the that's well, what they only got at. this is the first time he's on the first power play as a yeah. first overall pick and it's been two years yeah and they're being used as third liners and they've been pretty good third liners you know like they're learning the game at the nhl level at a different place where other top picks are and that is on the rangers like obviously, you'd be like, "Well, they're not going to play over Panarin or Kreider." Or I, I've said like, this since like two years, like when he got drafted. I'm like, I know everyone's complaining that don't put him into his off lane, but I hate to break it to you, there's no room for him anyway in the next five, six years. So where yeah. you might as well start now, you know? Ex ex exactly. So I mean, I think they'll figure it out. I mean, the big. I mean, what do you big, see him as? You see him as a it it. It, like at, as a New York, Ranger, I think he could. I think he could still points, be a point seventy per, points, eighty points. I think he could still be a point per game player. He absolutely can because first of all, there's a lot more point per game players in the NHL now. It's not as uh, right. hard to reach, but you know why? Why shouldn't he? Right? Like Kreider, we never thought was going to hit over thirty goals, right? And he's probably right. going to be on pace to hit over thirty goals again, even with this injury this year, right? Um. It's a different, it's a different league. And, you know, sometimes you just got to be feeding guys the opportunities. Um, but what is Lafreniere? I'm sorry to try. I just want to answer. No, no. What is Lafreniere? Because there were two things coming into his draft year that were two concerning things, but everyone's like, he's just too damn good. Forget these problems. 
was his skating and then identifying what he is. Is he a playmaker? Is he someone who crashes the net? What what is he? Okay. So um in regards to what he is, I feel like people had a difficult time deciding that because that first year in the queue, he scored 42 goals. So they're like, okay, he's gonna he's gonna score a whole lot of goals in the eight. But then he followed it up with a couple of 30 somethings and like 60 plus assists, right? Right. So at first they were probably thinking like, okay, this guy could score a lot, but then he ended up distributing the puck a lot better. Now, I think what we're seeing is, I don't think he has that top tier shot, obviously, but we haven't really seen him use it that much either. Like he hasn't really had as many rush chances because the Rangers don't have that many rush chances to shoot off the rush. Um, He does a lot of his work around the net. And unless the Rangers start generating more offense in front of the net while he is on the ice, and like I said, that means playing with Fox. That means getting another guy on the defensive end that could generate legitimate rebounds or a forward next to him that could create more chaos in front of the net. You know, he's not going to be getting as many goals like that. He's a guy who's really good in tight, and the Rangers haven't been in tight that much with him. They've been a lot on the perimeter. Um, I do think he's more of a playmaker, though. And I think, you know, when he was with Panarin, I we did see some shades of that. I think he is a he's a guy that's going to make while Kako is really good around the boards and around the net, Lafreniere is going to be the type of player that could set those plays up that, you know, a lot of broken plays. Like he's going to be the cap he's going to be able to capitalize on a lot of broken plays. And to be totally honest, in theory you know, you're looking at his first couple of years, he scored more goals than he's had assists. This year, it's pretty much the opposite. And, you know, how many, how many broken play chances has he had a chance on? You know, like he, you know, he, he, he might just be dealing with a, you know, an issue this season as well as really bad luck, right? Like he should definitely have more than the four goals that he has this year. And, you know, if he did, and while still getting third line minutes, we might be talking about it a little bit differently. So I do think he's more of a playmaker, but I I I still think he has a point per game ceiling. I, I think he should still be able to attain that too. Got it. One more question. I'm sorry, just one more. Yep. Um, if there's one analytical stat, just one, I know there are a bunch of them, and I know there's Rangers have problems with playing a full 60, but there's one stat that you say this this is what the Rangers have to work on. What is it? Um, I would like them to limit as many. I would actually mm, I would like them to to limit as many rush chances against right i feel like the rangers could go back and forth with a lot of other teams and they would probably have more talent than 95 percent of the teams in the league right um and um so i think that would be fine so if they could let up less rush chances and make the job a little bit easier for shisterkin right i think they're going to win more often than they're not um, so uh, to be totally honest, I think that everything will improve as they start filling out the, uh, the low points of their lineup with above average players at the deadline, you know, like as you're able to improve that, they're going to win more shifts and that's what matters. Uh, yeah. So I think it'll be fine. Okay. Um, thank you so much for coming on before we leave. You want to punch in your Twitter handle and all that? Yeah, so it's at Josh, J-O-S-H underscore K-H-A-L-F-I-N. Uh, the issue is that apparently when you're on private, 
on Twitter, like I have a lot of follower requests and they don't do it in order. So there's like a bunch of like, you know, like corn bots and like random like <laughs> things that I have to like scroll through to try to right. find the people. So like sometimes I end up like missing people in the followers request. So oh, yeah. Yeah, there there's been a lot of problems on Twitter yeah. as of recently. Uh <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, I've had like 20 bots probably message me in the past week. So yeah. It hasn't been great. All right. Thank you so much. I'm sorry for keeping you so long. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Really appreciate it. Thank you. you.